Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We are going to be in the story of the shepherds, the angels appearing to the shepherds and the shepherds going to visit the baby Jesus. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. If not, it should be on the screens behind me. Great. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Wow, bit of a noise there. Great. So this is maybe one of the more famous parts of the Christmas story. We're told the shepherds are out in the field, they're looking after their sheep, an angel appears and they're totally terrified. And they say, don't, don't worry, this is good news, this is good news. And the shepherds hear the good news, then they run down into the town of Bethlehem. They find this little baby in a manger. They're amazed. Joseph and Mary are amazed. The, town, the townsfolk of Bethlehem are amazed. And we get this classic picture of the, ship, the shepherds, maybe with a sheep under one arm, standing with Joseph and Mary, looking adoringly at this sleeping baby. Now, there are two things that strike me as a little bit unusual about this story, but there's actually a third thing which I also want to mention. Have you ever wondered, when the shepherds hear the news from the angel, they, they decide to hurry into Bethlehem, but they've probably got like a few hundred sheep that they're looking after, but they pick, according to this picture, their three favorite sheep to take with them. So it's like, oh, we've got to go, but let's take, let's take Jonathan, Kevin, and Carl, let's put them on our shoulders and run down to the... It's just weird. Like, you'd leave all the rest of the sheep, but you pick three favorite ones. Anyway, now there are two things that really strike me as unusual about this story. The first one is the news about this newborn baby has an impact on a group of people who are just random strangers to this child. They don't know who he is, and the people of Bethlehem are also random strangers to Joseph and Mary. And the second thing is the news of this baby's birth is announced by angelic choir. And it just seems a bit strange. Like, me and my wife, Rianne, are expecting our first baby... Woo! We are three weeks out from our due date. Oh, yeah. It's cute, isn't it? A black and white 2D image, but it's very cute. It does. Marjorie said it just doesn't look like me. I'll have words with Marjorie later. So, when Rihanna, well, when, I was going to say when Rihanna and I give birth, when Rihanna gives birth, we are not expecting a group of random farmers to rock up at the LGI saying, oh, we've seen an angel telling us to come and look at your baby, nor were we expecting lots of random people in the city of Leeds to be amazed that we've had a baby born to us. 
So the introduction and the impact of the baby in this story is markedly different from that of any other baby. So we have to ask, what is special about the baby in the story? Because we're not told that the baby does anything special. The baby doesn't have any cool superpowers. Uh, one thing is for sure, the traditional picture of Jesus in the manger sleeping peacefully while everybody looks on adoringly is completely inaccurate. Having done some baby prep classes in this scene, there should be crying, pooping, breastfeeding, bleeding, more crying, and Mary and Joseph, mainly Mary, should just look exhausted, like just slumped in a corner in total shock at what's just happened to her. Marjorie's like, that is right. So this baby looks no different to any other baby that's been born, but these random strangers are amazed by his birth. So we've got to ask why. And also we've got to ask, why does this baby deserve an angelic introduction? Why do the angels sing their song in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What is the big deal about this baby? And how should we respond to this story today? For us, we're so familiar with this Christmas story. Are we sure we still have the right reaction to it today? Does it still impact us in the way it should? So to help us approach this story, I'm going to ask three questions of the text. Number one, why are the shepherds terrified when the angels appear? Number two, why is the news the angel brings good news? And number three, what response do the characters in the story have to this news? And what response should we have today? So, if you're sitting comfortably, let's begin. The story begins in verse 8 by telling us, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So as we begin the story, it's important to recognize a little bit about who the shepherds are. And I'm going to suggest they're fairly normal people doing a fairly normal job day in, day out. And their lives probably look much like our lives do. They wake up, they eat breakfast, they wash, they go to work, which for them is a very short commute because they live where they work, in the field with the sheep. They finish their work, they grab some dinner, they go to sleep, somebody takes the night shift, they repeat. That's their life, day in, day out. So I think in this story, we can relate to the shepherds because the regularity of their lives is very much like the regularity of our lives. But then something happens to them in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were terrified. So we are told an angel appears, and the shepherds are terrified. Now, commonly, I think we picture the shepherds in this scene getting like a shock, being a bit a bit startled, maybe because they're kind of pop as the angel appears, the lights, the noise. It's like, oh, an angel. And you kind of get this impression. They're a bit shocked, but that isn't what the Greek words here denote. The Greek words about the shepherd's reaction are the words megaphobia. And phobia is where we get our word phobia or phobic. So the shepherds are described as literally being megaphobic, massively afraid, hugely fearful. They're not just shocked or startled. And if you've, if you've ever seen somebody who's got a big fear of spiders, see a spider, it's not, oh, a spider. It's, ah, <laughs> run out the room. Hand flailing as though the spider's going to jump on them. That's the reaction of the shepherds. It's screaming, it's running, it's shouting, it's hand flailing. It's, oh my goodness, there isn't, we've got to get out of here because we are terrified of this angel. And we've got to ask, why? Why are they struck with great fear? Are they just scaredy cats? 
Do we think if we'd have been in the field, we'd have been a little bit braver than they were? Well, the text tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So these shepherds are seeing God's glory and they are hearing a messenger sent directly from God. So in the Old Testament, when God wanted to communicate to his people, he would often send an angel as his messenger. So angels were a sign that God himself wanted to speak directly to you. And when this type of encounter happens elsewhere in the Bible, the reactions of people are broadly similar to the reactions of the shepherds here. You see the great prophet Isaiah, when he sees the glory of God in in heaven, he cries out, woe to me, literally despair to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Isaiah sees his true state when he sees the glory of God before him. He sees how unclean he is, how sinful he is, and he calls out despair upon himself. Another prophet, great prophet Ezekiel, when he sees a vision of the glory of God, he falls flat on his face before him. He like face plants into the ground. That is his reaction when he sees the glory of God. He can't even stand up. And we're told in uh, about John in the book of Revelation, when he sees the glory again of the risen Jesus, he falls to the ground as though he were dead. So we have to ask, why is this the general reaction of people when they see the glory of God? And it's because when a person sees the glory of God, it reveals God's holiness and it reveals our sinfulness. So if you imagine it like this, if you look directly at the sun, you recognize how unbearably bright it is and how weak and frail our eyes are that we're not able to cope with the sight. And in the same way, you can't look at the glory of God without recognizing his holiness, his perfection, and in turn recognizing our sinfulness and our imperfection. So this is why the shepherds are terrified. This is what the shepherds' reaction reminds us of. God is totally holy. He's totally set apart from sin and evil. He is perfect. Therefore, he is also the just judge. He is the one who has the right to condemn and punish all the sin and evil that goes along in the world. And we, by contrast, by our very nature, are sinful. Jesus says about us in Luke 11 that we are evil. Romans 5 tells, Paul in Romans 5 tells us that we are enemies of God's. And Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us we therefore are rightly objects of God's righteous anger and wrath. Happy Christmas. Um, so as I've been preparing this message, it, it really has convicted me as I've prepared because I've just realized how often I go towards God without really much reverence of who he really is. Um, I've just realized that I can treat him, I can treat him almost like um, a cuddly toy or like a cute puppy, something, someone that makes me feel good, that makes me feel comfortable, give him a squeeze after I've had a tough day. But he's not somebody that I should fear. He's not somebody that I should be terrified of. Yet when the shepherds see God's glory, his holiness, they in turn recognize their sin. They realize all they should expect from God is his judgment and his wrath poured out on them for the evil that they've done and all the wrong things that they've committed. The only thing they should expect from this holy God is separation from him forever in a place called hell. And the, the painful thing for us to recognize is if we'd have been in that field with the shepherds, 
we'd have had exactly the same reaction and exactly the same realization. Let me give you an illustration of, of why that's the case. Imagine, for example, and I don't know why you decide to do this, but you wake up one day and you think, I'm going to go out and impersonate a police officer. So you buy a uniform and you go out onto the streets and you're dressed as a police officer. Now, you might be a little bit nervous that if somebody came up to speak to you and asked for help, they might be like, oh, they're going to find out who I am, who I really am. Or if you see a situation where you need to arrest someone, you might be like, oh, they might, they might figure out that I'm a bit of a fake. So you're a bit worried, but you're terrified if a real policeman comes around the corner and starts walking towards you because you know they're going to find out that you're a fraud. Or imagine, maybe this is a more likely scenario, imagine you're at a dinner party and you're speaking to some guests and you're pretending that you know lots about science. They don't really know who you are, so you're like, oh, I'm going to be a great scientist for the evening. So you're answering all their difficult questions and you're making up events or theories to impress them and they're in rapture, kind of attention to what you're saying. You might be a little bit nervous that one of them's going to maybe find out that you've got a little bit of a... Uh, a hole in your scientific theory that you're faking it. But if a new person sits down at the table and they introduce them themselves and they say, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Roger, I'm a nuclear physicist, you're terrified because suddenly here's somebody who is a real scientist and they are going to find out that you're just making this whole thing up. So why is that a helpful illustration? Well, we are told in Genesis 3 that the sin we are all guilty of committing is choosing to reject having the one true God as our God's. We have all decided to be the God of our own lives instead. We are all guilty of impersonating gods and trying to live life our own way. We're all guilty of making decisions based on our sinful desires rather than on his perfect holiness and wisdom. Of living lives the way we want, not the way he wants us to. And the reality for us is the Bible tells us that one day we will all come into contact with the real deal we all come into contact with the one true God himself. And our pretense of being our own gods is going to come into stark relief against the one true God himself. We will all be found out on that day. Hebrews 4 verse 13 tells us, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One day we will all die and we will all meet God. And in that time, we will all see his glory. And our reaction will, just, will be exactly the same as the shepherd's reaction in the field. We will realize that God sees every single thing that we've ever done, said, thought that was wrong. And we'll be terrified, just like the shepherds are. And the reason that I'm hammering this point home is because we have to stop and pause and reflect on this truth. This is a moment to take stock and check how am I really thinking about God? What is my understanding of God? Do I have a reverential fear towards who he is? Because we won't be able to grasp what is to come next in the story if we don't recognize that this is our predicament and our situation now. Because the next thing we're about to look at is why the news the angel brings is good news. But it's only good news if you realize how bad our situation is. Imagine it like this. A person cannot appreciate a lifeboat being sent out to them unless they realize that they're drowning. And when we recognize our situation, when we recognize how bad a situation it is, when we see what the shepherds are recognizing in the story, we see why they're afraid. 
we also see why the first words that the angel says is such good news. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Literally, fear not. The angel is saying, yes, you have just seen God's glory. You have just realized that you are deserving of nothing but judgment and separation. But fear not, because God is not going to give you what you deserve. The news the angel brings is that God is going to give them something totally undeserved. A gift out of his gracious mercy towards them and towards us. Verse 10 and 12, the angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angel tells the shepherds of a baby who has been born, and the baby is described in three ways. And now we start to realize why this baby is such a big deal. The baby is described as the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. We're going to take a closer look at each of those descriptions because each one is an incredible piece of good news to us today. The first one he's described as a Savior has been born. The shepherds recognize their, their situation. We recognize our situation before our holy God. We've got no excuse for the sin we've committed. We are totally lost. We have no excuse before him. They see how bad the situation they're in. We see the predicament that we are in. And the news comes, the baby is going to be your savior. How is that the case? It's just a baby. 33 years later, this baby who grows up to be the man Jesus is nailed to a cross He suffocates and dies on that cross. When he did this, he took the punishment that we deserved for our sin. He took the wrath of God on himself that should have fallen on us. It fell on him instead. He is separated from his heavenly father so that we can be brought in and accepted. He would die in our place so that he could bridge the gap that existed between us and God. He would save us from our sin and take the penalty that we deserve, he would be our substitute. So our response to that is, do we decide to live with him at the center? Do we decide to put our trust in him and what he did for us? For some of you in the room, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today. This is the good news that Christians bang on about all the time. We are deserving of nothing but judgment and separation from God, but have his love and mercy before us. He sent a savior because he doesn't want that to be the case. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And the response is to put your trust in what Jesus did for you. You need to recognize that you need a savior. You need somebody to come along and save you. And Jesus is that person. The punishment that you deserve fell on him so it doesn't fall on you. The second description of the baby the angel gives is he is the Messiah or the Christ. Now that word means the same thing. It means God's anointed one, God's chosen one. And throughout the Old Testament, God had repeatedly promised his people that he was going to send a Messiah. He was going to send his Christ to save his people, to rescue his people, to lead his people, to be the ruler of his people. In Genesis 3, he said, this Messiah is going to be the one who would defeat the devil. He's described as the serpent crusher. Genesis 49, he would be the one who would be the eternal king to whom all the nations of the world would bow down before. Isaiah 7 said he would be the Messiah who is born of a virgin, which is what Matt spoke about last week. 
Isaiah 9 says he would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. He's basically going to bring in a rule of justice and righteousness that would never end. And Micah 5 said he would be a savior born in Bethlehem, which is where we're told Jesus is born, and that he would rule over all of God's people. Now, they're just five of a few hundred verses that talk about who this Messiah was going to be. So when the shepherds are told, this is the Messiah, this baby is the Messiah, this boy Jesus was the Messiah, they're like, this is the person we've been waiting for for thousands of years. And what he shows to the shepherds, what he shows to us today, is that God is true to his word. God is true to his promises. God is faithful to his people which means we can trust him today. He doesn't abandon his people. He doesn't forsake them. He doesn't leave them. He is faithful to them. And he sent Jesus as our Messiah, our Savior, the one who would bring peace to us now. We can have peace with God. Romans 5 described us as enemies of God before we know Christ. But at the beginning of Romans 5, it says, now we have peace with God through what Jesus has done for us. And one day, God promises that Christ will return to usher in a totally new reign and rule of righteousness and peace. And we can trust that that is true because we know that God is faithful to his promises because he sent us his son. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're just finding it so hard to trust that God is faithful to you. You're finding it so hard to trust that he is better than the things of this world. You're finding it so hard to trust that he's going to provide what you need that he's going to provide you peace and contentment and intimacy. This story is proof to us of God's faithfulness. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We are able to come into a relationship with a faithful God today. We can trust that God is faithful to us and he gives us what we need, not necessarily what we want, but he gives us what we need. And he has shown that he is faithful with the ultimate demonstration of giving his son to us. The final description the angel gave of the baby was that he was the Lord. Maybe this is the most mind-blowing statement for the shepherds. They had known in the Old Testament that God Almighty existed, but he was was always separate from them. He was always holy. He was either either in the temple or he was up in heaven. They couldn't really have contact with him. But we're not just told that this baby is a savior. We're not just told that this baby is God's anointed one. He's not just the Messiah. He's not just a man who's come to do God's work for him. We are told the baby is God himself. This is the eternal, never beginning, never ending God. The immortal, never dying God. The almighty God who made the universe appearing in the flesh as a baby. Jesus coming as a baby shows that God has humbled himself taken on the weak and mortal frame of a human. Why? So that he can come and speak with us. He can come and relate to us. He can come and touch and heal us. He can intercede for us. He can deliver us and he can die for us to save us. This is the unique claim of Christianity. The God of the Bible is one who understands our pain, our sufferings, our difficulties, our weaknesses and our temptations. He knows everything that we go through because he lived exactly like we do. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, 
but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This may be you today. You are stuck in your faith. You're struggling with temptation. You're stuck in habitual sin. You are living a life of unconfessed sin. Or you're struggling with doubt. You're struggling with unbelief. Or you're just going through the ringer right now and life is just painful and there is suffering and it's just difficult. These verses tell us that when we need freedom from habits or addictions, when we are having a dark night of the soul and we need somebody to go to who can comfort us, or when we're in times of pain and suffering, we can go to God with confidence because he accepts us because of what Jesus has done. And he empathizes with us. He's like, I know what you're going through because I've been there. I'm not just the God who sweeps in and goes, everything's going to be okay. It's like, I feel your pain. I feel your temptation because I have been there. I know how it feels. Yet, he was without sin, which means he knows how to guide us through to the other side of our difficulty, of our struggling, of our pain, of our addictions. He knows how to take us through to the other side. So maybe today, what your faith looks like is you need to come to him afresh with confidence that he accepts you and know that he draws alongside you to empathize because he knows how difficult life can be and he grants us grace and mercy in those times to help us to transform us to end today and guide our response a little bit i want to look at this last question what response do the characters in the story have to this news and what response should we have today? We saw at the beginning of the story, verses 8 and 9, the shepherds, normal people living a normal life, they're terrified when the angels appear. As the story progresses, they hear that the, a baby has been born and the sign is that it will be a baby born in a manger, wrapped in cloth. So they, uh, they hurry off to Bethlehem, they see this baby and they're amazed by what they see. And in verse 20, we're told the shepherds returned to the fields, returned to watching their sheep, returned to their normal day-to-day lives. But they returned no longer terrified, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So they returned glorifying, praising God, thanking him for who it is, they, who he is. They returned with a deeper understanding of who God is. They've realized the reality of their sin. They realize they ex- can expect nothing but judgment. That's what they deserve. But they praise and glorify God because they've heard he sent a saviour. He sent a Messiah. This is God himself. They have encountered Jesus. They have met with God. Every day, every single day, we get a choice. We can choose to live our life rejecting God and impersonating him and pretending to be our own gods. We can live a life where we just have God as an add-on, a little bolt-on extra, where we go to when things are tough. Or daily, we can come before him and meet with him, encounter him, a God of grace and mercy and love towards us. We can daily recognize how amazing it is that he has sent us his son, how amazingly faithful he is towards us. We're not just told about the shepherd's reaction, we're told about the local townspeople in Bethlehem, how they respond to the news. So when the shepherds had seen the baby and they'd heard the news, they'd seen that the baby was there and what the angels had said was true, their reaction was not to keep the news to themselves. Verses 17 and 18, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So there's two things to note here. Firstly, the people who hear the news are amazed 
by the news. The people recognize this piece of news is totally different to every other religion in the world. It's a totally different worldview that is put forward. That God himself has come in the flesh. That God himself has come to save us. Maybe today this is the first time you've heard the news. Your reaction is be amazed. Be amazed that God would come to the earth to save you, to have a relationship with you. And then take your amazement and put your faith in Jesus, in what he's done for you. Start a relationship with him today. The second thing to note is that the shepherds told the people about the news that they'd heard and seen. Now, for those of us in the room who would say that we believe in Jesus, that say we're Christians, the shepherds are a great example of people who have really grasped how good this message is. They've really encountered the love and the grace of Jesus. And when they've encountered it, they can't help but tell and show those people around them what they have heard and seen. And when we respond, when our response is to hear this news and then daily come before God and remind ourselves of how good his mercy and grace is towards us, we're naturally going to have an increased desire and a passion to share the news and the goodness of Jesus with other people. And lastly, we're told about Jesus' mother, Mary's response. So the shepherds have gone, they've seen Mary and Joseph, they've seen the baby Jesus, they've told Mary, this is what the angels have said, your baby is the saviour, the Messiah and the Lord. We're amazed by this. We're going to tell the whole of Bethlehem. Mary sees all of that going on. And it says, verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasures up what she's heard from the shepherds and ponders these things. She keeps this news about who her son Jesus is close to her heart. Mary's response is so useful for us today because many of us, we might have heard this news so many times in the past or this might be the first time you've heard it or it might be the first time it's resonated with you. And part of our response should be, let's celebrate, let's praise God, let's thank God for who he is. Let's sing, let's worship, let's go, God, you're amazing, this is brilliant news. And we will do that in a moment when we're led in worship. But we can't just hear the news and sing now and then go out and live a life that's totally unchanged. If we do that, I've got a question, have we really heard and understood what the message is? Have we heard and really understood what the news is and how it transforms us? What Mary does that is so helpful is she keeps this truth close to her heart. She treasures the truth that though we are deserving of judgment and separation and hell, God desires in his love to give us love and grace, mercy and accept us and free us. And holding that truth close to our sinful, rebellious heart starts to soften our hearts. We find it easier and more joyful to come to God each day because we're not coming to earn his love. We're not coming to prove ourselves to him. We're coming to receive and be amazed at what he's given us. It means we're going to live a life where we have a greater desire to serve others and live for others rather than ourselves because we recognize that God has given and served us rather than served himself. We'll become more generous with our time and money when we see the gift that we've really received from God. We'll be able to persevere through our difficult times of faith and we'll be able to have hope in our times of suffering, because we know that A, God is faithful to us, and B, God knows exactly what we're going through, and he draws alongside, he empathizes with us in our weakness. 
And we can know that God is always on our side because out of his loving, merciful character, he has given us his son to be our saviour, to be our Messiah, to be our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.